Is it summer yet? No. Keep your shirt on. <laughs> I was about to say, I think both me and our listeners uh, really miss shirtless summer. I I don't I don't think that's true. <laughs> I don't think anyone misses that. Oh man, just a few months away. We're yeah. so we're so close. Uh, I don't know. I mean, we just got to get we just got to get over this February hump, and then it'll be and then it'll be summer. I mean, it's, it was seventy degrees outside today. Oh man, I just love it. I love it. February I, in Texas. Mm-hmm. I hate I hate the cold. Just more and more every year. I just hate it more. I'm like, get rid of this winter. It's been winter for a whole month. Mm. Ugh. Yeah. It's exhausting. 40 degrees. Terrible. Yeah. Terrible. <laughs> just, it's just so cold. <laughs> Ugh, man. How could anyone survive temperatures like that? I honestly don't understand it. Yeah. Like, they people settled, like, north of the Mason-Dixon. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I just don't, I like, for a long time. Yep. They were like, this is good. We're happy with this. Yep. Yeah. I don't get it. Ongoing, actually. Yeah. I think there's still people there. <laughs> oh, man. I'm not going to go check. Yeah. That's for sure. <laughs> Staying down here. <laughs> no, it's just uh, like, it's not like they had heat. I mean, they had fires and stuff. <laughs> it's not like they had heat. <laughs> I mean, yeah, they're like wrapped up in all these all these clothes. I mean, it's less than 50 degrees for most of the year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How does that work? I did like. I don't know. It's yeah. It's unfathomable. It's, it's they all got thick blood or something. <laughs> and mol- molasses. Let's. I guess that's a Canada like molasses yeah. pumping through their veins. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Canada with their strategic maple cedar preserve. They're ready yep. for this. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> it's too cold. I hate it. Yeah. Ugh. But man, it's just like one to like March first. Like you're, we're good to go. Well, we're almost there. Yeah. We, we just don't gotta, have long to wait. We're so close. X100 V Mark II and summer. Yep. Man. It's like, I feel like whenever you get to like the end of November or the beginning of November and um, it's like the time changes and then everything gets dark and then things just get worse and worse and worse until December 21st. And then that's why you start getting longer after that and you're like, okay, it won't be too much longer. You get to the end of January and then it's like light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah, like one more month to go, and you're through it. Like we're we're on the way up. It's all down up, down from here. Welcome back to the Camera Gear Podcast. I'm Daniel, and I'm Lucas, and we're here today to talk about the gear, software, and techniques we use to shoot photos and video. You, you did it again, Daniel. That was, I actually have a pre-show topic on here. Oh, I saw. And then um, you played the, the pre-pre-show. And so now we're going to have to play the other intro mm-hmm. after this mm-hmm. to actually get us going. Right. Yep. And uh, for like the last, almost, it's almost been like a whole week. I'm taking a break from car play. Mm. Y'all are going through a rough patch? It just doesn't seem to, to work for me anymore. Hmm. Now, like this is a recent change. Like it actually seems worse in some way. It seems like it's getting worse. It's probably my cable. I don't know, but I feel like when I was on Android, uh, Android Auto was fine, but like it would break every so often. Like you, you go to play music and it comes through the the vocal channel and like the phone call mm-hmm. channel yeah, instead I've had of that the, happen instead of the stereo channel or 
Like you have to unplug it and flip the cable over and plug it back in or it just didn't connect to Bluetooth or whatever. It just, it could, you know, buggy, things like that. And I was like, man, when I switch to this reliable operating system by Apple, I'm not going to have any of these problems. Carboy's just as bad. Like they're, they're both terrible. Yeah. But for some reason, like just worse. I swear, like one out of five times when I plug in my phone, I pl- unplug it, plug it back in. Seems like maybe you should try a different cable because I mean- I don't use my CarPlay as much as you do, but I don't have those problems. Yeah, I don't, it's just just getting worse. And I, I was, I got, I got fed up with it, and I was like, "That's it, I'm done." So no you, more. Are you going back to like a GPS unit? No, I'm like, I've unplugged it. I stuck the cable in my console, and I've just been connecting via Bluetooth. Nice. How's that feel? I know how to get places. You like it? I mean, it's it's a simpler life. Yeah, you feel like you're living like early 2010s. I feel like I know how long my battery lasts on my phone now instead of getting like a, a charge boost every time I drive. Yeah, yeah, you probably just charge your phone more often. No, no, I'm doing pretty good. I'm at, uh, I'm at, I mean, it's been all day. I'm at 70%. Yeah, hey, that's pretty good. And that's, uh, I took it off the charger 13 hours ago. Yeah, that's pretty good. Yes, I am. Yep. I guess I just don't use my phone. Yeah. <laughs> That's kind of what it sounds like. You're too much of an iPad power user. That's what it is. I'm just power using all the time. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm iPod literally plugged in right now because it was at 10%. Yep. Charged same. that like barely a day ago. Mm-hmm. Just been power using all over the place. <laughs> anyway, now you can play the other intro. Do you just want to play the same one twice or uh, what should we do? <laughs> <laughs> just go around for another lap. Okay. All right. Uh, I know that we don't make corrections because we're never wrong. Mm-hmm. But, but if we were wrong. I just, you know, I this one felt warranted. Uh, just to you know, maybe clear the air, and I because I was I'm really worried about all of the all the emails we're going to get, and it's for the for the episode that came out today. Hey, but, we, we've gotten emails in the past week about this show. So okay, so uh, I know this is probably too late because they're they're going to have heard it, mm-hmm. and they've they've already they've already written their emails, and like this is like weeks later, right? Yeah. But anyway, I know that a logarithmic function is the inverse of an exponential function. <laughs> And I know that I said that it was like, I said exponential function when I meant logarithmic when talking about sound pressure. Mm. And I just want everyone to know that I know. (laughs) Stop it. (laughs) It's just a slip of the tongue. Well, I'll make sure I forward all those emails to you (laughs) so that you can deal with the the fallout from your mistake. Yeah, I just really wanted to clear the air there. All right. It's very important to me. (laughs) Everything else I said. No apologies. Uh, <laughs> Don't take any of it back. Uh-huh. <laughs> okay, uh, I want to talk about. I want to talk about film <laughs> a little uh, more. Here we go again. Every okay. week. All right. So I was watching film YouTube, and not that like. So there's there's YouTube about film, which I do watch that part of YouTube, where they're like, let's get real deep on uh, this film by. Um, blah 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 blah. Mm, and like, so you mean like cinema? Sure. Yeah. And like they literally start like breaking down like James Wan films or something. Oh yeah, you're totally down with stuff like that. Oh yeah, I watch I watch that part, uh, but that's not what I'm talking about. Okay. I'm talking about the other thing where uh, people will will go out and they'll take pictures on film mm-hmm. and they'll talk about the film stock. Yeah. And mm-hmm. the formula for this video is exactly the same for every YouTuber I found, which is talk a little bit about the film stock and then do some B-roll from a GoPro where they walk around and shoot. And every time they take a picture, you drop in the picture so people can see it and you make sure they'll play lo-fi all through that whole, through that whole bit. I have run across a couple of YouTubers that have played uh, like 
piano or jazz. And I was like, what are you doing? <laughs> They're not sticking to I mean, the not, format. Not even close. I look yeah. at their subscriber counts like 300. I'm like, yeah. ugh, yeah. you're never going to get to a thousand mm, if, you don't, if you don't put in lo-fi. It, is a thousand a lot of subscribers for this kind of film oh, YouTube? I, mean, I, I bet that's like the biggest creators have a thousand <laughs> subscribers. At least. <laughs> thousands, probably. Yeah. Sing, single digit thousands, but we're, thousands nonetheless. We're a tight community, Dan. Uh-huh. You, sh- you shut uh-huh. up. <laughs> anyway. I was, uh, this guy was talking about Harmon's new film stock. Uh, Harmon makes Ilford, which is a very popular black and white film, which I'm sure you know all about. Well, you've talked about it several times as if I know about it. Right. Well, Harmon has come out with, is coming out is with- Is this like a company or a guy? Harman like, is a are com- you and Harmon on a first name basis? I mean, like, we're, we're okay, but it's a company. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> They have this new film stock and it's a colored, it's a color film stock with it's a C41 process, which is like the most common color process right now. Like most film color film negative is C41. Okay. And I know that I said that in the worst way possible. Anyways, they are coming out with a brand new, a brand new film stock, which is like, it's not unheard of, but we don't get new films every day anymore i don't get new films ever so sure so like it's it's kind of a big deal like we want more companies to be investing time and money in like creating more films because we want film to stay alive well some of us want film to stay alive (laughs) and Harmon's new color film is obviously called phoenix yeah obviously because you know like from the ashes right it's good it's real good and it's orange it's not actually orange. The box is orange. Actually, what's well, not, it's not, it's purple. It's not orange. You know how whenever you take, whenever you shoot film and get it developed, usually the film itself has like an orangish amber tinge to it? I think I've seen that, yeah. The Phoenix film is purple. Interesting. Yeah, it is interesting hmm. because it's a whole new film stock, Daniel. It's very cool. And so they've been like, you know, promoting their new film stock and going to different camera stores and they have these like giant film stock like like big you know like the little cardboard things mm-hmm. like that but at 200%. Oh. And they're like look at our film stock and like gave out free samples to people and that sort of thing and I watched this whole video about it and I was like this is cool and he he showed a bunch of pictures and the film stock looks terrible. Like it doesn't look terrible it's just very very stylized. Like if you like Cine still you're going to probably like this mm. cuz like almost all of the highlights halate like crazy. It's like any sort of highlight fringing you're going to get halation. And it's like really, really crunchy. And then there's like so much noise, so much noise. And I was like, I don't know if this is my, my speed. I don't think this is something that I would shoot, but I want to support them. And I I would probably, I probably should buy some at some point. Well, I was at the camera store picking up my last set of negatives. And I like look over the person's shoulder and lo and behold, on the table behind them was a giant Phoenix 200 speed orange box. <laughs> and I was like, is that that Harmon Phoenix 200 stuff? And the person was like, yeah, you want some? (laughs) Yes. Yes, please. And so I bought some. I feel like six months ago, you would not have predicted that you would have gotten to this point. (laughs) I don't remember when you actually started your film journey, but it is... It feels like you've gone pretty deep in not that much time. I don't know, Daniel. Let's get... we've, We've well covered that this is a problem. Anyway, so this is just all very exciting. Like if you shoot film, you should go go out and get some Harmon Phoenix, support the cause, support new film stocks. Maybe you'll love it. Maybe you'll hate it. It's just, it's, it's really country and really grainy, but 
I like, I'm super pumped about it. I like to buy products where I don't have to support the cause, you know, or where it's not, it's not like me and the little community trying to keep it alive. Well, you just but, want the cause to support itself, yes, Daniel? Yes. <laughs> Ridiculous. There's another company. I have more film songs to talk about. Of course. Called Adox. And this is, this company is like, we're, we're back from 1860, whatever film, blah, blah, blah. And it's this German company. I think they like merged with somebody and then they came out with this color mission 200 film and then like the parent company or something dissolved and Adox then like went independent as its own company or something, something. I don't know the whole history, but that's the gist of it. And point is they're working on a new film, a new film emulsion. And in order to make this new film emulsion, they're funding it by selling all this backlog of mission 200 color film Hmm. and so they have like a you can go and buy color mission 200 from adox and like support their development of whatever and they're not making any more of it like if you want to shoot color mission that's it this is all there's going to be one time chance Mm -hmm. and like they're probably going to make more of it later whenever they get their stuff up and running again but it's not going to be the same because it's just it's never exactly the same once you like change machines and adjust the chemicals and this sort of thing so they're working on a new thing, but they did release a new version of Color Mission called Color Mission Helios. Why do these things sound like, I don't know, like Mission Impossible movies or, you know, some sort of thing like that? I, I don't know, Daniel. You just got to have fun with it. Everybody's trying to be real cool with these names. What's that? What's the one? Um, is it called Eye Candy or... Something candy. Help me out here. Street candy. That's the word I'm looking for. There's a film. There, they they no, make a bunch no, of films. No, nobody stocks. should. Nobody should partake in street candy. That's not a good thing. Well, the the film stock's a good thing. That's also very like very stylized. Um, a little maybe a little too hip for me. But yeah, I mean, you know, there's some okay named <laughs> stuff like you can shoot Kodak Gold. Yeah, or that, whatever. That's more. That's more pedestrian. It's not as exciting as. Like Phoenix or Color yeah, Mission yeah. 200 Helios. Yep. Except it wouldn't be 200. Like, like Harmon Phoenix sounds like the lead character in a young adult novel. I'd, I'd read that. <laughs> I'm into it. All right. Anyways, Daniel, you don't even know where we're going with this. No, I don't. Adox is coming out with a new, this, this new-ish ish film stock. Color Mission Helios. ISO 3. <laughs> it feels like a typo. Nope. They're promising an ISO sensitivity between like, it's like one nominal sensitive, like 1.5 to three. So does that mean that there's no noise or does it just mean that you need all the light in the world to take a picture? You need so much light, but what it's for is you can shoot super long exposures so that there's nothing in your exposure. Uh Like if you want to shoot a landscape or something of like a city Mm -hmm. and you're at ISO one, (laughs) It's like, well, here goes my 20-second exposure or whatever at, at F4 or F2.8 in order to, like, get enough light. They huh. say that you can shoot you can shoot at reasonable shutter speeds, like 1 over 125, 1 over 250, at, if you have a really fast lens, like a 1.4, 1.8 lens uh, with, this, with this ISO. And, like, the grain is super, 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 super fine. This sounds really niche. It's... it's it's like niche on niche. <laughs> For one, it's like 
okay, we're looking for someone who wants to do really long exposures on film. Mm-hmm. Which you can't and, do that much of. And then also want to do it on film. So is this, this they're working on this. When is this coming out? Next season. Which, which, which <laughs> season? What's the film season? Is this like baseball where it's most of the year or is it just, you know, like, like the, I don't know, like, like the, like the migration season of the, you know, whatever kind of bird, like where it's three weeks long. I mean, what, when is the season? What does that mean? <laughs> like, I know. Come on. I don't know. Who knows? Who knows? Just like right now. It's going to come out in one of the four seasons of the year. Right now. We're in the worst season, winter. And soon we'll be in the best season. Yes. When the Summer. Fuji X Summit happens. Mm-hmm. Wait. No. <laughs> That's, we all know that summer one starts in the beginning of March. And I think that's what they're talking about. We'll see. Mm-hmm. Yep. Is there any more film things we need to talk about? Um, oh, we should talk about film scanning. I thought I almost had you pass this topic. <laughs> Here we go. I started, I, I, my, the person who was going to send me a film scanner just like forgot. Yep. Hasn't and happened. I don't want to pester. I don't want to pester them. I feel like because they did uh, offer me a free scanner. A reminder would probably be appropriate. Okay, maybe I'll text them. I just kind of be like, "Hey, by the way, just checking before I go and buy one of these on eBay." I don't see why not. Okay, swallow your pride. Uh, I just don't want to. I just don't want to like bug them about it. Well, I didn't say text them every day, but one time's not that bad. Okay, I will send one reminder. Yeah, one reminder. Courtesy Be- reminder. Before I spend $350. Yeah. It's just so frustrating because I, I bought that scanner. <laughs> I bought that scanner for my hand in 2018 and it cost me like a couple hundred bucks. She paid me back. It was like $100, $200. Now they're $350. It's ridiculous. Ridiculous. You should have bought a whole a whole uh, pallet of them. That's what I'm saying. I should have just bought two. Yeah. Anyway, point is, maybe that's coming, maybe it's not. And so in the meantime, I was like, you know, maybe I'll maybe I'll try taking some macro shots mm-hmm. of uh of some of my my negatives because I'm like I'm like this close to finishing a role, and I'm going to develop one myself yep. for the first time. And I want to be able to scan them. And I'm not going to have a scanner by then. Mm -hmm. I was like, well, I should start figuring out like how to at least take pictures of them so I can, you know, start working through the problem, like how to process the negatives and like find the right app. So that whenever I do have the scanner, I'm all set. Yeah. Well, from what I saw of your experiments, it seems like you've got some additional experimentation that you need to undertake. Oh yeah. I'm just, I'm not there. What I learned was that like, I thought it was as simple as, okay, here's a light. I'll set the film on the light and then I'll shoot a picture of it. And we're groovy. Yeah. Yeah. Just as easy as that. Not, no, it's just not one. Like I didn't realize that the texture of whatever like surface you have under the light was going to show up so egregiously on the film. <laughs> so what did you set it on in this test? I, I had to have a, uh, aperture, right? They make those little color. I don't have a color one, but the, the square lights, what are those called? Uh, uh you have the M9. Yes. But you like the Aperture MC, like that style. Yes, Aperture MC, and but the M9. And so I have one of those, and that's what I was using. Then that didn't work. And so then I have this new, one of those newer panel lights. And so I tried that, and that worked better, but not the same. And so I tried, I, I held my hand above the surface to create like a distance, and that 
was the best. Oh man, that sounds awful. Well, like trying to keep it in focus. I'm stuff. just I'm I'm experimenting before I like develop a solution. Which develop a solution? Yep. Like both of those are puns because you use <laughs> you use solutions of chemicals to do developing. Yes. I see what you did there. <laughs> Can you go ahead and end the show? <laughs> go ahead and play. Where are we at? <laughs> uh, anyway, so every time I come up with an idea, I'll go onto the internet to be like, has someone else done this idea? And then I'll find someone else with the idea. And in this case, it was a Petapixel article from like this week. And I was like, no, I had this idea first and I was going to talk about it first, but now they are, everyone's going to think that I'm copying them. Yep. I'm not copying them, Daniel. I had this idea first because I was sitting on my couch looking at a shoebox and I was like, what if I built... A, a scanning device out of that shoebox. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to like make a like cover in white all inside the box to make like a, a refractory bouncy situation for the light, and then I'm going to cut a hole for the film for the light to come up through, and then I'm going to build like an alignment so I can set the film over the hole perfectly in the exact same spot every time. Sure, and then I'll, I'll configure that over with the tripod over top, and that's my plan. It's going to go great. <laughs> Sounds really janky, but uh, I guess we'll see. If it works, it works. But the other problem is, boy, I didn't know that, like, I know that you have to invert the colors. It's not that easy. You have to, like, fix the white balance and all this stuff. Hmm. I imagine there's, like, would that be repeatable from shot to shot? Sure. Like, there's, like, yeah. The, like yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, you figure out that transform, and then I imagine you wouldn't have to, like, tweak that every time? I could probably do a Lightroom preset. There are applications that... Are specifically for this. There's I found a couple iPad apps that will just they just do it, and then they have like all the magenta yellow filter stuff that you can kind of like move the sliders and make it work. That seems worth it. Yeah, it's like I don't know three sixty a year or something for this app. It's like, oh, it's like five bucks a month oh, or something. Wait, so which, what? What you say three sixty? Like, what do you mean by that? Like, I mean by dollars. That's that's a lot of money for mm-hmm. an app. Yeah, it's that's more than I expected. It's pushing it. That's but, like you could buy a scanner every year. Yeah, but like I still have to have the software to scan yeah. it. Anyways, so I'm figuring it out. I'm I'm looking for looking for the best options. Yeah, and then I'll tell you what the best options are by force because I know you don't want to hear it. Mm-hmm. And I'm stuck here though. I'm just gonna just gonna tell you what they are. Yep. So, anyways, I'm working through all this, and I wanted to. Yeah, you got to get that going because I mean you you've been talking about doing this developing, and you bought a bunch of the stuff for it. And soon, I mean, at some point you're going to finish a roll of film, right? And yep. I assume you want to develop it, but mm-hmm. not much point if you don't have a way to scan it. That's why, that's why I'm figuring this out, Daniel. Yeah. Jeez, get golly. It. When you leave here, you better go figure that out. <laughs> so much pressure. <laughs> oh, boy, I got to finish that. And then I have the, so after I shoot that roll, I have like, I have some like Kodak Ultramax. And I have some Ektar 100. You've got a backlog and got, of film and now. I got the the Phoenix, the Phoenix 200. Mm-hmm. And then I think I have, I have that roll of superior 400 that I found on my dad's camera bag from 2006. Mm-hmm. I got a lot of cool stuff to shoot through, yeah. but I need to make, I need to like figure out how to develop it you, or else I'm going to ruin those roles. Do you think that once you get this developing thing figured out, do you think that'll increase your speed of shooting film? Well, like I mean, when, I st- when you know you can develop it cheaper and faster? I still need, I still need like things to shoot. I think one of the things that's holding me back is I'm still learning how to use that Hymatic mm-hmm. and I haven't but I put myself in enough situations to take more more yeah. more candid photos. Nah, that's fair. I have to work on that. But I think that once I once I have confidence in shooting with that camera and knowing that I'm going to get things in focus, uh, then I think I'll I'll probably end up shooting more film, especially whenever I know how to develop it and scan it in a reasonably quick way. Yeah, that makes sense. 
I do think that if I get through this roll and all of them are still out of focus, I'm probably going to shelf that camera. Yeah, I mean, if you just can't take shots that are in focus, then it's kind of hard to get value out of the camera. And then I'm going to I'm gonna go look for a, like a cheap, I think probably a Canonet, because those are have faster, faster apertures. And they're relatively small. And then I'll just zone focus. Anyway, <laughs> lots to do on the film front, Daniel. Apparently. Okay, all right. Let's talk about let's talk about something else. I feel like the next thing is still film related though. <laughs> like you're trying, you're, trying, you're trying to play it off like it's not, but I feel like it's still film related. Okay. Do you remember that Kodak announced the Super 8 camera? I so I didn't remember it because I mean, I've seen something about it in the past 6 months, but they've apparently had this thing in development for a really long time. Oh yeah, really long time. And and I I mean I hadn't been tracking it back then, but now it seems like it's almost here. Yeah, I mean like you can sign up to buy it and it's going to cost it's like it's on BNH's website for, mm-hmm. you know, this is a thing that's going to exist. Yeah. And it's like whatever, like $6,000 or yeah. something or like $5800. Mhm. It's crazy expensive. Yeah, yeah. But the price seems ridiculous to me. It's just it's slowly it's slowly coming. It should be here soonish, but the mm-hmm. thing that's important is that there is a video out about this camera. Yeah, it yeah. is in the hands of people, mm-hmm. and those people work for BNH. Yes, and it's like a five or six minute video, and they kind of go through how it works, what yeah. it does. Yeah, and like one of the things that I've been dying to know about this camera is how does it have an, a, a digital screen to frame mm-hmm. all your video stuff when it's a film camera? Because basically, this is a this is a film camera that shoots Super 8 film, but it also has a screen that you can use to set your settings, like your frame rate and stuff. And then, yeah, like also a viewfinder, which is odd. Right. And so it's, do you know how a normal film camera accomplishes being able to see through the lens? Uh, I know it uses a mirror or I guess DSLRs use a mirror. I don't know what film cameras do. You're, it's very similar to our conversation about 3D with the uh, that mirrored. It's not a diopter; it's a prism, like that mirror prism thing, mm-hmm. where like there's a like a plain, you know, like a plain shutter looks like a, like a disc with a pizza slice cut out of it and it spins around, and like however long that opening is across the the film face is your exposure time. Sure, and like 180 degrees, whatever, and all that shutter speed stuff. Basically, they take that disc rotate it 45 degrees and put a mirror on one side and then you look down into it so that whenever it is not exposing you're seeing a mirror through the mirror mm-hmm. and whenever it is exposing you're not so like you get a little bit of that flicker but you can see what you're shooting sure and from what i understand they're basically doing the same thing here but with a digital sensor instead of like a, a optical viewfinder yeah that's kind of what i saw too it seemed like the thing i read phrased it as they have a cmos camera inside the camera right that basically looks at what's coming through the lens and so you can what's interesting too is that you can actually use that viewfinder when you don't have film in the camera and so you can use it either when you do or do not have film so you can use it to like test out shots and like frame stuff up and then you can also use it when you're actually filming I don't necessarily know who this camera is going to be for because it just seems crazy expensive. Yeah, I mean that the the price just seems like it kills it. Like I get that there's some sort of a, you know hipster appeal to shooting on film, but I have to imagine you can buy a Super Eight camera 
for less than this, right? Like if you got on eBay, can you just buy a Super 8 camera for less than $6,000? I mean, I'm, I'm sure you can. I would be shocked if you couldn't. And so it just seems like if what you're going for is the hipster whatever aspect of it, then I would think you would want like the authentic older thing anyway. And if what you want instead is modern features, then why wouldn't you be shooting on a digital camera? Because the aesthetic, I don't, I don't know. Because the other part of this is that that it's like fifty five hundred dollars or something, mm-hmm. but that doesn't count the cost of the film and the cost to process the film. Well, that's what I'm looking. That's what I'm bringing up here is like, you can go buy some like Vision Three Kodak film, and for this specifically, this product, they're going to sell like these canisters of film that you specifically buy, you slot it in, and then you in the menu you select like, oh, I bought vision three or whatever and then it'll automatically set the iso and everything for you Mm -hmm. based upon that film stock because you have to buy these specific stocks and you don't have to like roll it or anything yourself it's all kind of like built in and so you don't have to worry about accidentally exposing the roll or anything it's just like when it finishes it stays inside the thing and then you can send it out get it developed but like right now if you bought like 50 feet of super 8 film it's going to cost you 40 dollars and i think that if you're shooting at 24 frames per second, you're looking at like a minute of footage is like 20 feet. I think what I saw when I was reading about this camera was that, you know, one cartridge that was 50 feet was going to get you about three minutes of filming. Yeah, that sounds about right. That plus development costs. So call it $60, 70 to for, shoot for three, for three minutes, three minutes of, of footage. Yeah. yeah, I just don't understand who's going to buy this thing. It's, it's so expensive. Yeah. It also has a uh, micro SD card because it can record audio. Right. Well, that's the other thing is normally when you're shooting on film, part of the film is set aside for the audio track. And so what this does is it just records it to micro SD and then it allows you to use more of the space on the Super 8 film for the video. And so you can actually shoot 16 by 9, which is not a traditional format for Super 8. Interesting. I didn't realize that. Yeah. Even stranger. And then you have to sync it in post. Yeah. Like some, I, I don't know that that seems like the least of your problems if you get this camera. <laughs> like, <laughs> like you're already having to send off film to be processed. I think you can handle you know clicking around and resolve for a few moments to see yeah, audio. I guess that's reasonable. Yeah, I, I'm I'm really excited about this existing, and I'm happy that Kodak's making cameras. I just wish they would make like non niche cameras. It feels yeah, like every like they might have this super expensive super eight thing that. I have no idea who this is for. Like if you're if you're gonna shoot film to like make a movie, it feels like you have a budget. Mm-hmm. It feels like you're doing something where like maybe I'm gonna shoot 16 millimeter or something. Or are we gonna see stuff at like I don't know Sundance and ICANN that are shot in eight millimeter? Yeah, I, I did see somebody say that they thought if they had made this a super 16 camera, maybe it would make more sense. Oh yeah, which for I assume sure. is 16 millimeter. Plenty of stuff. Plenty of stuff nowadays is shot on 16 millimeter. Mm-hmm. Did you ever see that uh, How to Blow Up a Pipeline movie? No, that was shot on 16 millimeter. Looks grainy. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like I can. I'm getting. I'm getting better at pegging those. Like whenever things are shot on film, mm-hmm. like I'll be watching a movie and I'll go, "Was it shot on film?" And I have to look it up. Mm-hmm. There's one recently where I got it wrong, but more usually I'm right. Especially when it's 16 millimeter, because it is super obvious. <laughs> anyway, point is, I don't, I, I don't get it. I just don't get it. Like, oh, I want to shoot. I'll shoot. Man, I'll shoot three minutes of footage, just, just goofing off. Yeah, 
Yeah. I mean, you have to, you have to be really disciplined and really know what you're doing to make that amount of footage work for you. And, uh, I don't know. It's just a strange, uh, positioning for that camera. Yeah. All that to say, somebody emailed us this week and was like, you guys should get this and link to this camera. Probably not going to happen. <laughs> you don't think so? I think I'd rather have a Canon C70. Yeah, I could see that. A Canon C70 would be really fun. Yeah, about the same price. Yeah, they are. <laughs> they that's sure that's are. why I use that comparison. It's like, yep. you know, about the same price. And that's rather, rather what I have. Anyway, I'm, I'm still excited they're doing it. It's just they have this. They have those like H50 cameras, the half frame ones. And they have like, they have... Uh, underwater tough cameras yeah it's like they're making everything except a normal camera yeah it's i mean i'm like kodak you make the like make it like make a freaking slr come on like just do like make like a like a little fixed lens small film camera yeah just like, like exactly what you want basically it, it would sell like hotcakes yeah if you like something with like super basic autofocus with like a 2.8 40 millimeter lens just like they used to like make one of those sell it for 450 bucks boy oh yeah. boy i don't know why they're avoiding that i don't know maybe they don't think that they would like maybe it's development costs maybe they think that they can't make enough I, yeah they're making everything else Hard it's to say. very strange you said development cost again because because development yeah i mean yeah. like the like the like you know what never mind not like the film development just let's talk about something else <laughs> can we get out of film world now yeah i mean that's at least half the episode oh my gosh <laughs> it's yes, just getting yeah, worse it has been half the episode <laughs> all right let's talk about something more modern okay so we keep alluding to this fuji event coming up yep and February 20th mark your calendars we've been avoiding like going over the rumors of what's going to be in it because it's obviously just going to be the, the X100 thing yep they're, they're not even going to say anything about it they're just going to show us and, and then they'll have a pre-order link and that'll be it and then I put on here that I wanted to uh, complain about Fujifilm and the upcoming event mm-hmm. can't wait to hear this and I don't really ha- I don't really have anything specific to complain about except for I just really really want to see firmware updates and whenever I wrote this on here which reminds me that the main point of this subject on our list is a PSA. And that is if you have a 16 to 55 millimeter XF lens and you updated to the most recent firmware that came out like three weeks ago, like at the end of January, oh boy, you're in trouble. <laughs> well, fortunately, they have already come out with a fixed version. Yes. So if emergency update to the newest fix or don't update. Yep. Is that the advice? I think so. Yeah, they like pull, they pulled that thing. Yeah, it was like, like the it was a really important update because some lenses, specifically the sixteen to fifty five two point eight, people have been complaining that when you zoom in and out, the exposure changes. Mm-hmm. And I've seen people uh, show examples of that. It's a real problem, mm-hmm. and it's been a problem for like eighteen months, like ever since the XH two S came out, which was June twenty twenty one. Yep, twenty twenty two, anyway, like years years of this problem they finally fix it and then they fix it wrong <laughs> just come on guys just frustrating yeah so i think in the in the fixed version did it roll that back or did they fix it the right way i do not know i was unaware that they actually had rolled out a fixed version i knew that okay. they were going to soon yeah and that they had pulled the update yeah no they did come out with a new version but i didn't actually look to see how like like how they resolved the the problem situation, but there is a newer version now. So I think the bad one was like version 1.3 and now they have a 1.3.1. It feels like Fuji is just 
behind. Yeah, like does. I know that development costs are expensive and you don't want to have to keep like doing software for you know, hardware products you've already created and like you're not you're not selling the software updates or anything. And but it's just I don't know. The XH2S is still their leading camera mm-hmm. and it's like there's features that are in the newer cameras that like don't make sense to be in those cameras, but they aren't in the XH2S and it's frustrating. I mean, it seems like lately the main thing they've come out with is the GFX uh, 100, the Deuce. Right. And besides, besides that, yeah, it's like, what are they doing with firmware updates? You know, we're not, we haven't seen the X100 successor. Like, what are they doing? It doesn't the, make sense. The Kaizen thing was such a big deal for Oh, a good period of time. And it used to be that, you know, well, while Fuji's going to you know, give you like real meaningful improvements on your, the things that you buy over time. And like, you don't necessarily buy something for what it's going to be later, but it was always kind of a nice, you know, Oh, cool. I'm going to get like the latest thing. And I was looking forward to that when I got my mm-hmm. XT3 and that's about when they kind of stopped yeah. doing it. It kind of felt like you were buying into a company that had a culture of, you know, carrying their old products forward and, right. and not letting your new thing immediately go obsolete. But now it seems like they're just like every other camera company. As soon as it comes out, they forget about it and you right. don't really get meaningful updates. We're going to talk about it in a little bit, but CineD did their, they're finally did their lab testing for the new GFX 100, the second camera, where they did like their dynamic range and the rolling shutter and all this sort of thing. Checked like exposure latitude, and the, the conclusion was essentially the X-H2S is better in every regard for video <laughs> than this medium format camera. Oh, that's embarrassing. And, like, I mean, it makes sense, right? You have the, a stacked APS-C sensor is just going to outperform like across the board. It's going to be better in dynamic range. It's going to be better in, like, rolling shutter and all this thing. And it, it was just so blatantly obvious that, like, they're trying to sell this GFX for something that it's not. And the X-H2S is here as, like, this is their, you know, leading video camera and they just, this just still doesn't have a lot of these features. Yeah. Stuff that seems like it should be pretty simple to add like a vector scope. Mm-hmm. Like, like once you've implemented that in software, it shouldn't be that hard to put it on a different camera. Right. Or like, you know, time code that works. Mm-hmm. Like let me, let me just, let me be able to jam to or from the camera, not just over Bluetooth. Yeah. And I'm, I'm happy that they did roll out that UltraSync Bluetooth jamming mm-hmm. thing. It seemed so far, like the tests and the reports seem like it's medium reliable, maybe not like totally reliable, but I don't, I don't know. It's, it's like they're, they come up right up to the line and they just don't, don't cross it. Like they yeah. don't make it all the way for what you need and what you want. Yeah. It doesn't really make sense. And I mean, the G, it, it seemed weird that they positioned the GFX 100 as being like this premium video camera. And I remember us talking about it at the time and thinking that's, kind of a bold move and you know we'll see if it works out and it is just strange because it feels like they already had that and they want to be seen as this professional video company but they're not willing to fully invest and mm-hmm. and, and fully go the, the extra mile to actually make it professional grade gear in my mind i feel like there's a lot of weight on this next event and i know that they they it's unlikely they're going to announce you know all this you know, new updates and stuff for for my two year old camera or year and a half old camera, and it's just unlikely. And I know that we're probably a year away from the next XH2, if not more. They're on like a three or four year cycle, and but I'm hoping that you know, with the next X Summit, 
they start kind of moving more in this direction of like where, you know, we know why people like Fujifilm mm-hmm. and we're bringing our X-T5 and our X-H2 and our X-H2S line forward. And I don't know. I think that a lot of my opinion on Fujifilm may just may be shaped by like what they do at the beginning of this year. That's a bold statement. I don't know. I, I was going to ask if, you know, knowing what you know now, knowing the trajectory they've taken, would you still have bought the X-H2S? I mean, I think that it was the best camera at the time. I honestly still think it's one of the best hybrid video cameras you can buy. If you are looking for like what is what is you know top of the line, the thing that can do all the things, like the Z8 is up there because that can shoot 8K. It can shoot compressed raw internal. It has like decent autofocus, it's high resolution. Like you yeah. can stack. The Z8 is an amazing hybrid camera, but so is like the A9 Mark III looks like it's going to be incredible with that global sensor. And like there's the, I'm sorry, my, I've now mixed, mixed eras, but like there's decent ones out there, but those are like really, really expensive. Yeah. When you come a little farther down the line, like you have the S5 Mark II, which are both like, this is, you know, camera of the year 2024, three, 2023. Anyway, but it doesn't, it doesn't quite meet the same spec level as X-H2S. Like you don't quite have the same rolling shutter performance. You get the 14-bit readout off of the X-H2S sensor, which does have like real benefit for yeah. dynamic range yeah, and color fidelity. We've seen that. Yeah. yeah, it looks it looks really, really good. Uh, I like the way that the, the the fake grain, like the noise produces off the sensor. It, it does look more filmy, and I like that. And you can get 6K 10-bit color like off of, off, off the sensor, right? Yeah. If you're shooting with the S5 Mark II and you get into the, the open gate formats, you're getting 420. Mm, interesting. You don't get 422. And so if you're looking for something that can shoot open gate 422 uh, with a decent rolling shutter, like the, you're spending over $4,000 for that camera. Yeah. I guess, mate, no, you can't, you can't shoot open gate with the uh, Ken uh, R6 Mark II, can you? I don't remember. I don't think you can. Basically, none of the Sonys do it. And so it's it's kind of like the only game in town within that budget range with its feature set. And it's just frustrating that it's like, wow, we can do all these cool things, but I can't really sync time code and it doesn't have waveforms. Don't even don't even ask me about shutter angle or false color. Yeah. Can't power it externally. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's just like it's not quite there as a professional video camera. Mm-hmm. But like the capabilities are really good. Yeah. So yeah, it's like it's got good internals. And I don't know. So I feel like I would, I would, like I would still buy an XH2S. Like it's got good battery life. I mean, the autofocus leaves some to be desired, but most of the stuff we shoot in film is manually focused anyway. And I'm still really, really happy with it. I just feel like it could be, it could be just that much better with a few, a few tweaks. Yeah. Well, I guess we'll see what happens. I, I'm also not really holding my breath for that, but. They did bring the uh, Bluetooth timecode, so maybe they'll bring more stuff. I am I am looking forward to actually getting into that. I've been trying to figure out more about how to actually jam timecode, mm-hmm. and it seems like really what you have to do is just figure out a way to. Um, it's like hot potato. You gotta like pass the hot potato around yep. around the thing. And I had I watched a video where a guy was like, "All right, here's the I'm going to show you how to sync all these things together." And it was like one of them was a microphone. And one of them was like the Atomos Blue, and one of them was the Atomos Ultra Sync, and one of them was a, a Tentacle Sync, and then he had a, a Deity TC1. Oh man, all <laughs> kinds of different things. And he's like, "Well, what you got to do is you got to sync this one to this one, 
and then you can sync this one to this one. And then once you have this one synced, you can sync this one to this one to this one. And blah, 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 blah. And now we're all time code synced. <laughs> so the guy's got like a 10-step checklist for making this work. It was, it, was, it was like watching somebody solve a puzzle. It was ridiculous. <laughs> it was like one of those things where you have to like slide the squares to like oh, line the no. thing. It was just like that. I mean, that's not what I want to be doing when I'm setting up for a shoot. That's the problem. But I've, but I've cracked it. <laughs> if, we get, if we get one of those one uh, RF time code things that Atomos makes... That can sync to an UltraSync Blue, which can then sync anything that else that has UltraSync Blue. So once you get the UltraSync Blue, you can jam both XH2Ss, and then you get that that one uh, RF thing, and then that thing jams the UltraSync Blue, and then once you have that one, that one can one 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 the one RF can do like a radio frequency jamming to things. It can jam to something or it can be jammed itself like it has input output and radio and bluetooth because basically the problem is the ultrasync blue only connects over bluetooth and right so you if you if you have something that supports bluetooth that's great but if you have something that you need to plug in a cable to you know, receive or jam time code it doesn't give you that option so you need something else to do that yeah and Atomos makes something else they make the ultrasync one yeah that was the thing i was talking about yeah and and that one is kind of like it bridges the gap. Like it has physical connections to jam things and it also has Bluetooth to connect to the UltraSync Blue. But the problem is just the cost, right? Like the UltraSync Blue is $150, which is great. It's nice and cheap. But this other thing is like $280. And so if you have like a a mixed ecosystem where you have some parts of your setup that work with Bluetooth and other parts that do not work with Bluetooth, then you need both of those things to make it work. So you're having to buy an UltraSync Blue and an UltraSync One. Right. And all this would be a lot easier if the XH2S could just take a connection to a yeah. Tamco port and just like get yeah, jammed. Yeah, because then you could just get one UltraSync One, mm-hmm. a, a single UltraSync One, yep. and you would just be able to basically carry it around and briefly plug it into everything yep. and jam all of them. Jam, jam, jam. And it, easy, right? And then like you sure you'll get some drift based upon like those those crystals are only so, so good. Mm-hmm. The tentacle ones are supposed to be like really, really good. But the UltraSync thing can jam the tentacles and it can jam to the TC1 or vice versa. Or if you have uh, like one of those new road mics, I don't think those can get jammed, but they can jam. So you could jam the road mic could jam the UltraSync 1, which mm-hmm. would then jam your Bluetooth, which would then jam your XH2S. Everybody's jamming. Just jam, jam, like, jamming all over the place. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like a Bob Marley song. It just, it seems to me like this UltraSync 1 is what you, what we would need if we were going to try to jam to our Fuji cameras at yeah. any point. But it's frustrating that while this seems like the the mass interconnect solution for getting a lot of these products to work together, like getting your tentacles and your TC1s working together, we it's still not the complete solution because yeah. you have to have the stupid Bluetooth puck mm-hmm. to make it work with the XH2S. Yeah. And I mean, I think we're probably going to end up trying this and it'll probably work fine for what we're doing. But, you know, in any kind of professional filming situation, I don't want to be relying on Bluetooth to do anything. No, you want you want to use the radio frequency thing and have things like actually connected mm-hmm. that you're jamming. I want to have a wire plugged into my camera yeah. to do it. And and you just can't do that with the XH2S. That's what's frustrating. Right. I mean, that's that's cinema camera territory. Like once yeah. you get into that situation, I don't know how many hybrid mirrorless cameras support that, if any, barring like maybe some Lumix stuff. Uh, yeah, I think the S1H does. Well, of course but, it does. Yeah. It does everything. <laughs> Perfect yep. camera. Perfect camera. That one also doesn't shoot 422 10-bit. Yeah. 
Well, Mark II is on its way. Yep. It's going to shoot 8K and stack sensor. Yep. It's going to be everything. Yep. Okay. I talked a little bit about vicinity lab tests for the GFX. Yeah. And so I threw that on here because I thought it would it'd be worth Man, talking there's about. there's been so much drama around the GFX. Because, I know. Because this isn't even, there was the thing before, right? What, what was that issue previously? Wasn't there like a... Oh, where like in certain burst modes, it doesn't shoot 16-bit raw. Yeah, but it, that, was or, for, that was for photos. For photos. Okay. It encodes it as 16-bit or 14-bit. That's right. 16-bit, even though it's a 14-bit So file. we're not even talking about that drama. No. This is other drama about or, the... Or how they were like, it's a brand new sensor, and then it wasn't a brand new sensor. Mm-hmm. But it, like it was, but it wasn't. The GFX 100, the second, is seems more and more to be like the most confusing camera to shoot video on. I know that Fuji gets a lot of flack for their video menus. I was... I mean, I'm basically a fan of it, of how they let you kind of pick your... You pick like your your you know four two zero four two two or whatever, and then you can pick your frame rate. You know, do I want to shoot in sixty or twenty four or twenty three point nine seven or whatever? And then you can pick your bit rate. And everyone complains like, why do I have to pick my bit rate? Yeah. Just tell me what the best one I'm is. I'm one of those people. I complain and, about that. And I get that like having to optimize it is annoying, and that video that video screen of like setting up your modes is not obvious poorly documented and you're basically guessing yeah yeah you either have to do a lot of experimentation or just like oh i hope these numbers are good i threw a picture of this image circle in our show notes yeah it's bonkers i remember this whenever the camera came out because they they were trying to brag about how many different because they're saying basically like it's a big sensor and a big mount and so you can put any lens on this thing and they'll all work and then they have this 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 diagram that shows you all the different aspect ratios you can shoot on the sensor and that was the most confusing thing yeah that was that was like their whole thing was you know this will slot in with your you know airy 65 solutions this will slot in with any sort of format that you're wanting to shoot because because it's a medium format sensor and it's got a giant image circle you can shoot like full frame super 35 uh large format and like here's all these different versions of like 8k 4k etc 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 that fit within this thing and it is, it is a nightmare of compromises. <laughs> and like, it was cool that whenever they first started selling it, I was like, this is, this is legitimately cool. It's like, you have all the options here. It kind of reminded me of the Murano a little bit with like how kind of the different options among it, except way worse. And so even when Cinedi's out there doing their, their testing on the dynamic range, they're like, well, like we tried to test it at medium format and like, that's what we did our numbers with. But even then, it's like if you shoot in 8K on this thing, it's line skipped. But there is an oversampled version of the 8K, but it's a different crop, which is different than the 4K, which is different than the oversampled 4K, which is different than the large 4K. Like it's and, and probably all of those things have somewhat different performance on you know on some of these tests. And so even just communicating the results could be really confusing. Yeah, it's a total mess. And so they, they shot this in 8K with DR priority, dynamic range priority on and dynamic range priority off, which also changes like, is it line skipping or like how is it oversampling and dealing with the image? And it's like, you have no, like you have no idea how big your image is. Like it's, it's frustrating. It just seems, it seems so crazy and it's impossible to figure out like what the, ideal format is to shoot on this camera for video because like you don't know which one's gonna look the best because they're all like weirdly compromised it makes it feel like the people that are designing the cameras 
like, you know, they're engineers and they're thinking like, what are all the options we, that we can provide? And like, they're, it's cool. On one hand, it's cool that they're giving you access to so many different options. And, you know, maybe in some cases it feels like they're pushing the limits of what they're able to give, you know, where it's like, well, the only way we can provide this certain crop on the sensor is by line skipping. So like, we'll do that and we'll just line skip it. And fine, like, it's great to have all those options, but they need to document it and they need to give mm-hmm. you both documentation of exactly how everything works and also rules of thumb of if you want the best image quality, these are like the top settings that you can use. Yeah, and, or like a default in the menu yeah. that like, well, you can have it just automatically jump over. Like I want to shoot in oversampled 4K. Okay, here it is. Because, this, this because not, be. not everybody's going to do research to see how does all this work? What do all these things do? And they, they're not all going to test all these things themselves either. So you need to give people a reasonable starting point. Definitely. So with these tests, they first did rolling shutter. And whenever you have, when you're shooting full width of the sensor, and I think that's 8k, you're getting like a 26 millisecond rolling shutter performance, which is not bad. Like it's okay. Yeah, it's You're, like it's like within range of other hybrid mirrorless cameras, right? It's like it's like A seven four territory. Yeah, those Sony's have such terrible rolling shutter; <laughs> it's ridiculous. And then if you turn dynamic range priority off, it's fifteen milliseconds. That's pretty good. Pretty good. Well, like, in the XH two S, like three or something. Still, silly. it's like depending on what mode you're in, it's somewhere between like it's like five point three yeah. up to six. Yeah, that kind of thing. But that's like, I mean. APS-C stacked sensor. It's yeah, it's crazy fast. Yeah. There's very few cameras that read faster than XH2S. Mm-hmm. You have to get into like an Airy or a C70. Anyway, so that's that's rolling shutter performance. Dynamic range. It's looking like, I mean, we talked about this like last week, right? Where it's like if you have a 14-bit sensor or a 12-bit sensor, you can only do 12 stops and blah, 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 and noise yeah. and all the stuff of that shadow. Yeah, that sounds familiar. So they fed it through the Emma test thing that they do where they're like, they shoot the thing and they stick it in the thing. And I, I'm not explaining that at all. They had like the light board that has graduated different stops of light and they just took a go, picture of just it. Just go watch a Gerald Undone yeah, video. Yeah, sure. you know what? Watch a Gerald Undone <laughs> video. You'll figure it out. Anyway, they're saying that this thing is like 14-ish stops, like 14.4 or something of readable. And then of like the signal noise ratio too, that's, you know, like usable dynamic range with decent noise is 12.4. And that's, Fine. Yeah, those are acceptable numbers. They're not great numbers. Yeah, it's just right up the middle. Like, it's totally acceptable. And an XH2S, I think, reads out at like 14.1 or 14.2 total, and then you get like 13 stops. Or It's just, it's mm-hmm. with like a minor amount of noise reduction. It's just incredibly good. So, and that's just maybe like the way the test results work. But like, this isn't any better than an XH2S. It just seems like, and, and this camera is three times the cost of an XH2S. Yeah, and it's and it's medium form, quote unquote medium format. It just seems like if, you're, if your main purpose is video, you should not buy the camera. No, it's, it's, it's not a video camera. Like it can do the video stuff, but I don't know why they're pushing it as a video <laughs> camera. It was kind of weird. I mean, even when it was announced, even before we knew all these trade-offs, it just seems... It seemed like they were really trying to shoehorn that stuff in. And it went beyond what like Leica does sometimes where they say like, oh, you can shoot video on this because, I mean, they had all these new features they had developed, like the waveform and all that, that are mm-hmm. video centric features. And and I that all that effort feels misdirected. Right. 
Yeah, it's like it's Leica. You why do you, why are we shooting video on it? Yeah. Like and it's kind of the same thing here. I mean, I get that Fuji probably feels a lot of pressure from the full frame market in their medium format cameras because they want it to be they want it to be the next step up. Like, mm-hmm. oh man, I, I like shooting full frame. Cool, cool, cool. What's next for me? What's my upgrade path? Well, I'm gonna go medium format. So you got Fujifilm, Hasselblad, and like you're probably gonna go with Fujifilm because it's it's maybe a little cheaper and they have really good like film simulations and image quality and all this stuff. Like it's a great camera. But I feel like uh the full frame market is getting I think too too good and Fujifilm isn't staying that far ahead of them. Cause it's not it's like not really medium format. I mean like it's medium format. But if you're talking about film, if you were shooting, you know, full frame and then you went to medium format, you went from a 35 millimeter to like a, like a six by seven or six, four, five, that was appreciably different. Yeah. It's a big, big upgrade. Like the image quality and the grain and the look you get out of like six, six, four, five or six, seven compared to 35 millimeter is hugely noticeable. It's way better. And you just don't really, we don't really see that in digital as much because these, these quote unquote medium format sensors, like they're bigger than full frame, but they're, they're effectively like a 0.71 crop. Yeah. You're getting a third stop, more light and more noise performance. Yeah, it's just not much. Yeah. It's like, it's the difference between shooting like ISO 320 and ISO 400. Mm -hmm. I think that we're, I mean, the current Sony watermark is what? 63 megapixels. Yeah. I think that's right. We're so close to a, a 90, 100 megapixel full frame sensor that it's like, what are we getting for medium format anymore? I mean, it seems to me like probably they're not, there's, there's not as much development on medium format sensors. Yeah. There's been there's been so much focus on full frame size because that market is so huge that I think it's just caught up past Definitely. where medium format is. Yeah, I mean, Sony's making the sensors. They don't have a medium format camera. Yeah. It feels like they're less incentivized. Sure that, you know, Hasselblad and Fujifilm are going to buy their sensors from Sony and this sort of thing. And like they have a market share there. They're not incentivized to really push the envelope. On no, that. no. You know, they're relying on these companies to maybe like create designs and coordinate with their manufacturing and that sort of thing. And I don't know. It's just, it feels like poor Fujifilm is like, found themselves on both sides of the full frame market on purpose yeah. because they can compete and succeed there. And they really do have the best full frame camera and the best APS-C camera. Mostly the the best medium format camera and the best APS-C camera. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, Like roughly, you know, they're, they're very competitive in those markets. They they don't have a lot of competition in medium format. Exactly. Well, like, and that's why. So that seems like it would make sense, but only if they can push that technology forward enough to actually make it worth buying. Yeah, it just it feels like most people are just going to go back down to full frame or back up to full frame mm. because they feel like maybe there's more promise there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think we've kind of felt that way at times. You know, certain video features. It's, sure. You know, it's like, you know, or you mentioned shooting photos, you know, in, in a dark environment, you know, a week or two ago. And it's like, yeah, that's where full frame kind of makes sense. And, you right. know, it's it's concerning that. Yeah, something something like a dance or a wedding or that sort of thing. Like if you're shooting portraits or you have more still subjects, you're going to get these amazing detail out of out of a medium format camera. But realistically, you want the fast shooting speed and the autofocus and the low light capability of a full frame sam- sensor and a full frame camera. Yeah, and that's just going to be the better compromise because the medium format isn't doesn't have the same level of development. Yeah, 
Yeah. I don't know. It's interesting how that's all ended up. It, it really is. And so the last bit on this, uh, they did a lot, they do a latitude test where they, they shoot something at middle gray and then they push it up and push it down to see like how much flexibility there is. So if you expose poorly, how much can you recover? Mm-hmm. Yep. And it looks like there's about seven stops of latitude on the GFX. So how does that compare to other? So cameras? like most full frame cameras are about, about eight stops of latitude. The X-H2S has about nine because it's just super duper good. <laughs> and then something like, you know, an Airy might have like 10 or 11 stops of latitude, mm. like high-end cinema cameras. So yet another uh, area where this is just not really measuring up. No, it's not. Like it's just, it's not better in dynamic range than full frame. It's not better in latitude for those codecs. It's not better in rolling shutter. Like all you're getting is like the high megapixel is hurting you for video. You like there's you don't need 100 megapixels for video. Right. It's ridiculous. Right. And then like you just aren't you have maybe a little better noise performance. Yeah. And like otherwise, like just shoot shoot on something else. Like <laughs> save save the money and buy an FX3. Mm-hmm. Right. It's just going to be ten times better for video. So it's like I think we would have assumed this whenever we saw the camera. I think we were a little skeptical of its video chops, mm-hmm. but now that the test results are out. It seems more clear than ever that you should not buy the GFX 100 Mark II for video. Yeah, it's just not for it. Yeah, It's really cool for super high resolution, super good detail, mostly not moving images. Yeah. You can probably shoot some moving stuff, but not not a ton. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. They also have the uh, the iPhone 15 Pro Max image test information out. <laughs> I definitely looked at that too. Oh, yeah. Is hey, it, was it better than the GFX? Uh, no, it was not better than GFX. <laughs> it was uh, the latitude on that on their test was like three stops. <laughs> it was not good. Yeah, yeah. And they even in like the DaVinci Resolve app, Apple does so much noise reduction that you mm-hmm. can't turn off. Yeah, it's like the imitus just reads the same stops. It was like twelve point one all the way down because <laughs> there was no noise. And like yeah. they pulled up the uh, the graph like in Resolve of the of the shot of the, the xylochart thing, and it's like the you know usually the very bottom where all the noise floor is. It like there's a little bit of width there as right. far as you know the noise and all the stuff that's happening. It's like a flat straight line. <laughs> all that computational photography. Yeah, man. It's just there's so much happening on the iPhone. Yeah. There. Zero noise. I would imagine most uh, smartphones are going to be like that. Yeah, almost certainly. Yeah, they're all going to be basically like that. Or maybe worse. They're probably going to do some sort of like tonal shifting or something or HDRing or whatever. Yep. Yeah. Well, somehow we still ended up talking about Apple products. Dang it. (laughs) I'm not not, not an Apple guy. I'm going to have a lot of Apple stuff. Yeah. Yeah, you're not an Apple guy. You're just sitting there power using your iPad and... Sitting there with your iPhone. Hey, I just, you know what? You, you buy the things you buy. Mm-hmm. I still feel like I'm an Android user at heart. And uh, I switched, I mean, I switched to Mac to get to Final Cut. Now I don't even use Final Cut anymore. Yep. And yet you still, but you, even after you'd switched away from Final Cut, you bought a new Mac? I have a Windows laptop for work that does like. And it's garbage. It is. It has as much like juice as far as like processing power. It's like an H series well, you know, Intel 11, whatever processor. And like, it can compete with like a, like a M1 Max as far as, you know, processing performance and multi-core. Yeah, it just sounds like a but jet engine. It, oh my, oh my gosh. You open up, you open up like. Microsoft like Teams. Sure, Microsoft <laughs> Teams. 
and it just takes off. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Yep. And then it lasts 90 minutes at most on battery when like with like you have email and teams open. Boy. Yep. Hope you're not doing that for more than 90 minutes. Yep. It's yep. ridiculous. And the reason you want it to be summer is because that computer also gets so hot during that time that, you know, it's just wearing you down. Like, yeah, I mean, it's it's great in winter because I don't have to heat the house. <laughs> no, it's like the, the, that's why I have a Mac. Like it'll last like freaking 10 hours on a charge. I can edit like for whatever, three or four hours and still have, you know, 30% battery left. It's ridiculous. It's just the best. I know. It's just like... I'm just buying the buying what works best for me right now. And if that was a Windows laptop, I would put Linux on it. <laughs> That's it for the show today. Thanks for joining us. And if you liked it, tell a friend so they can check it out too. You can find out more about the show at www.cameragearpodcast.com. And you can find us on Twitter at Camera Gear Pod. We'll be back with more next week. <laughs>